Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Monday, April 5th, 2021, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Ooh, y'all, Republicans are big mad. They're really upset that Major League Baseball has canceled the All-Star Game, and corporations are blasting Georgia Republicans for the voter suppression bill. Governor Brian Kemp, he is really upset at Stacey Abrams. And the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, is like, gosh darn it, I'm not going to throw out the first pitch of the baseball game because I'm so upset. We'll talk about these spoiled-ass brats, known as Republicans, who are upset that we are fighting back. The Urban League of Greater Atlanta and other Georgia civil rights organizations sent an open letter to the United States to the state GOP and Brian Kemp, basically putting them in check, will be joined by the president with those details. Also, the Republicans in Georgia, they're saying, no more coke in the state capitol. I told y'all, they're a bunch of whiners. The murder trial of Derek Chauvin continues this week. Great testimony today, gripping testimony from the police chief of Minneapolis saying that Derek Chauvin violated department protocols as well as the emergency room uh, doc saying no, no. George Floyd did not die because of drugs. 
It was because of asphyxiation. Yeah, we're gonna tell you, we'll show you that testimony. Also, we'll talk about the trauma black folks are feeling watching the trials. All right, folks, in our book club, you'll meet the author of White Wealth. She looks at how the tax code is rigged against black people. Plus, as the country reopens, are you feeling like you're not as fit and healthy as you should be? Mm. We also remember Elizabeth Davis, president of the Washington, Washington Teachers Association, killed in a car crash on Easter Sunday. Folks, it is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Y'all, excuse me the, about the whiny Republicans uh, all across the country. They are so upset that corporations are protesting Senate Bill 202. The fight for voter rights continues. On Friday, Major League Baseball announced they will be moving the 2021 All-Star Game and the Major League Baseball draft out of Atlanta in response to the new bill signed into law by Governor Brian Kemp. Poor little Donald Trump has said, no, we need to boycott Major League Baseball and the NFL and Coca-Cola and Delta. Whiny, whiny, whiny. So on Saturday, Brian Kemp, he held a news conference <laughs> where he expressed his thoughts on the decision and watched the black people standing behind him. Y'all know we had the little Edla child, Janelle King, on the show. Her husband's out there and that other fool, Bruce Lavelle, you know, who's scared to come on here. Play this line, fool. Yesterday, Major League Baseball caved to fear and lies from liberal activists. They ignored the facts of our new election integrity law, and they ignored the consequences of their decision on our local community. Georgians and all Americans should know what this decision means. It means cancel culture and partisan activists are coming for your business. They're coming for your game or event in your hometown. And they're coming to cancel everything from sports to how you make a living. They don't care about jobs. They don't care about our communities. And they certainly don't care about access to the ballot box. It's easier to vote in Georgia than it is in New York. Even more ridiculous is that MLB didn't cite a single reason that they disagreed with the bill in their statement. Oh, really, Brian Kemp? Is that what you're saying? You really think that we haven't read the bill and all of the lying you're sitting here saying? You look like a damn fool. Tacey Abrams released a statement on Facebook addressing what Kemp said. Let's quote it. Republicans who passed and defended Senate Bill 202 did so knowing the economic risk to our state. They prioritized making it harder for people of color to vote over the economic well-being of all Georgians. Like many Georgians, I'm disappointed that the MLB is relocating the All-Star game. However, I commend the players, owners, and league commissioner for speaking out. I urge others in positions of leadership to do so as well. As I've stated, 
I respect boycotts, although I don't want to see Georgia families hurt by lost events and jobs. Georgians targeted by voter suppression will be hurt as opportunities go to other states. We should not abandon the victims of GOP malice and lies. We must stand together. Georgia Republicans must renounce the terrible damage they have caused to our voting system and the harm they have inflicted on our economy. Our corporate community must get off the sidelines as full partners in this fight, acknowledging that the provisions of SB 202 do not expand voting rights. They restrict those rights, affecting employees and consumers alike. And leaders must publicly support the voting rights provisions in the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to mitigate the harm being done in Georgia and other states. Uh, kind of real clear uh, what's uh, going on here. So why are they acting uh, so butthurt? Because people decide to use their power. Now, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell also released an internal statement via email to his employees that addressed the bill. This is what it says. Pull it up, please. Uh, I know I know that a number of you uh, have asked questions about the recent Georgia legislation. Guys, we should make this much larger. Nobody can read this, so why are we even showing it? This is way too damn small. Other states are considering voting-related legislation as well, and we can expect that they, they, these bills will continue to generate commentary and controversy, particularly in our current highly charged political environment. We know that the right to vote is fundamental and is at the core of our democracy. We will always support this right, and the NFL has done so in a comprehensive and thoughtful way. Together with our players and so many of you, the NFL and its 32 clubs show true leadership through our NFL Votes Initiative. And it goes on and on and on. So now they're upset with them as well, okay? Now Georgia Republicans are demanding the removal of Coca-Cola products from their offices after the CEO, James Quincy, spoke out against the bill last week. <laughs> okay, I... I thought they were against cancel culture. So really what they're saying is, we don't like cancel culture when you cancel us, but we're going to cancel everybody else. Hmm. The Urban League of Greater Atlanta is calling for widespread condemnation of Georgia's new voter suppression law. Joining us now uh, is Nancy Flake Johnson, president and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. Uh, Nancy, I, I got to say, it has to be disheartening to watch these spoiled brats, these grown men and women, step forth and lie. Let's just be real clear. If Republicans did, if they did not lose both Senate seats, if Trump had won Georgia and not Biden-Harris, none of this would be discussed. None of this would be talked about. There would be no bill. They are mad. They are spoiled brats. They're mad because they lost. It's evidence throughout the bill. So, Roland, what many people are talking about are the ID provisions that are certainly uh, going to make it more difficult for 200,000 Georgians. That's a lot of people. It's a small fraction of the population, but it's probably some of the most disenfranchised people in our population, uh, younger voters and senior citizens. Now, the way that the state, uh, the governor, is trying to make the case that that really is not a big deal, they've taken away the fee, it's going to be free, all that's fine and good. But the important provisions that the governor has not spoken about publicly that are the most egregious in the bill has to do with taking over local election commissions. 
That is the most dangerous thing contained in the bill. Two things. The other thing is that the Secretary of State has now been stripped of the majority of the Secretary of State's power. Now, that we know, you said it, it's likely a retaliation uh, tactic for the Secretary of State of their party to stand up and validate an election that had no fraud. Multiple recounts, multiple law, uh, lawsuits, all came to the same result, that this was the most uh, error-free, the lowest error rate in the history of the state with the highest turnout. So the real important issue here is uh, all of them are important collectively because they are designed to uh, make it harder for people to vote. But the most important thing is that the state legislature that is a majority GOP legislature now has the power to take over a local commissioner's uh, commission and the election process. And you can only extrapolate to say that they could potentially then overturn an election. That is the most egregious thing in this bill. And it's the thing that people are talking about the least. But, 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 but they, see, here's the whole deal, okay? And, and, and Republicans and I have been sitting here listening to all these people, and they, and they always resort to, but what's wrong with voter ID? Okay, they always go through that. Uh, I did an interview earlier with David Brody uh, and on this show, aired on Newsmax, and it was really laughable because he talked about how this bill expands voting. I said, David, this is dumb. I said, you're literally getting rid of 80% of your drop boxes. I Thank said, you. your drop boxes now will be inside. You now can't drop your absentee ballot off anytime you want to. You have to only drop it off between 9 and 5. The exactly. law also says that if I was a voter and I dropped it off, if I have a child, a niece or a nephew, a mom or a dad, I can't actually... Get their, get their bet and drop it off. No, because the law says no. Only you can drop it off. So who the hell do they think they're fooling? They keep saying, you haven't read the bill. You haven't read the bill. You haven't read the bill. Yeah, we read the bill, and it's trash. It is. Oh, they, they can nitpick and pull some small provisions out. There's an extra Sunday for voting. But the truth of the matter is, uh, we go from, I think it's 98 drop boxes down to 33 drop boxes. And we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and we don't know when the pandemic will be over. So you put the boxes inside a building that closes at 5 o'clock. What about all the working people? The majority of this state are working people who will need access to those boxes. It's all... Um, I, I've just never seen such um, blatant... Well, I guess we have. We've seen it for the last four years. Blatant falsehoods, either by omission or by direct attribution. And so at the end of the day, what we want, we are grateful for you and others to make sure people understand the full breadth of the bill. And it's the takeover provisions that would enable a party in power to take over, say, Fulton County elections and conceivably could change the outcome. Now, you remember, former President Trump called the governor. 
He called the Secretary of State. It's recorded. We've all heard it. They were asked to find 11,000 votes for clearly the purpose of overturning an election. The real question is, if this law had been in effect at that time, and that call was not made public, could the state legislature have gone into Fulton County or any county where there's heavy population of African Americans or other people of color and disputed arbitrarily ballots to come up with this 11,000? That's not a lot of votes when you've got 159 counties. So we're black people are 32 percent of the population in Georgia. The Latino population is about 10 percent. And you add in Asians, we're almost 50 percent of the population of the state. So what is the motivation for these sweeping changes if there was no fraud? It's clear. It's racially motivated, and it's motivated to have control over future elections. And we just can't let that happen, not here in Georgia and not anywhere. Well, uh, it, it is interesting to see the whining of Republicans. Uh, and, and I'm really getting a kick out of, oh, we, we want to get rid of Coca-Cola in, uh, in the state capitol. <laughs> it, the, there's a lot of um, retaliatory politics that plays out in our state. Uh, when Delta stepped up in, I believe it was 2016, against the uh, Religious Freedom Act that was going to discriminate against our LGBTQ uh, citizens. When, Coke, when uh, Delta Airlines stood up for that, they actually passed a, a bill that took away some of their tax benefits on a fuel tax or assessed a tax. Punitive politics. Is that what democracy is all about? You don't do what I say, I punish you? And that's exactly what's happening uh, with this legislature right now, with the, the fact that they are almost a supermajority. So we've got a lot of work to do on the ground. Uh, we've got to get, for now, this is law. The businesses, the chambers, they put general statements out, but none of them stood strong, but very few, rather, stood strong before the bill was passed and put a stake in the ground in terms of their opposition to the bill's content. I will also say, though, the legislature made so many changes. It was hard to keep up, even for the ACLU's, a big partner of ours, and the NAACP, um, who are at the Capitol every single day. Well, it was a two-page bill that went to 100 pages overnight. Exactly. Well, and he signed it faster than ever, I think, in history. There's usually a legal review. The governor has 30 days to sign a bill into law. But this was done immediately after the vote. The tactics are clear. Well, all right. Well, look, we're going to keep uh, putting the pressure bottom line. They can be mad at all the corporations that they want to, but uh, it's going to be real simple. If you don't say something, we're going to penalize you. Simple as that. Pure and simple. Got to do it. And and the real scary part, Roland, before we go, this is happening not just in Georgia. Yeah, it's all over. 
It's happening everywhere. It's all over. Absolutely. Uh, well, we certainly appreciate it. Nancy Flake Johnson, uh, President and CEO of the Great Urban League of Greater Atlanta. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, let's go to my panel here. Joining me right now, Dr. Cleo Monago, political analyst, uh, who joins us. Uh, also, we have uh, Teresa Lundy, principal founder of TML Communications, um, and, of course, Michael Brown, former former um, finance committee chair, uh, chair of DNC. Y'all, I, I, I love this one here, y'all. I, I got to reach out. So, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, sent this weak-ass letter to the Texas Rangers baseball team. Uh, Dear Mr. Liebman, this is addressed to Mr. Neil Liebman. Thank you for the invitation to throw out the first pitch at the Texas Rangers home opening game. I was looking forward to it until Major League Baseball adopted what has turned out to be a false narrative about the election law reforms in Georgia. And based on that false narrative, moved the MLB All-Star game from Atlanta. It is shameful that America's pastime is not only being influenced by partisan political politics, but also, but also perpetuating <laughs> false political narrative. The state of Texas was proud to help MLB host last season's National League playoff games and the World Series in Arlington. However, I will not participate in an event held by MLB, and the state will not seek to host the All-Star Game or any other MLB special events. This decision does not diminish the deep respect I have for the Texas Rangers baseball organization, which is outstanding from top to bottom. I wish the team great success this season. Teresa, I, I, I've never seen a bunch of weak-ass, impotent people. There, there's no group who thinks they're bigger victims than the Republican Party. Oh, my God. Everyone, this is... These are election reforms. No. This is, this is promoting the big lie. This is all about kissing Trump's ass and the crazy, deranged, sick, demented people who support him. They are angry that they lost. And so what they want to do is cheat. They're trying to cheat in your state by literally getting rid of statewide elected Supreme Court justices because they're mad with their judicial decision. These people love to talk about judicial activism. What they're saying is, if it don't go our way, we are not, we're going to change the rules. They're spoiled brats. Yeah, and I've never seen anything like it. And I'm, I think this is a moment in history where we're starting to see the case study really unfold, starting in Georgia. Then, of course, you got Arizona, Michigan, and, of course, my hometown of Pennsylvania, where... We've seen, you know, Republican legislators have been ruling um, for decades. And so because of this election, I think they have now become emboldened. So once we saw, you know, Trump lose the election, it, I, I believe all that money that it, Trump was raising for the campaign also all spread to start other committees so they can do voter suppression laws. Georgia is really the case study that I think everybody is paying attention to and also seeing what works and what doesn't. So I think every state and every legislator that is, that is Democrat and also those who are Republican who knows this is wrong and really want to get on the right side of change really need to start understanding that this is coming to a state near you. And we also need to prepare ourselves by, by not just being on the defense mode, but also finding some, some solutions <laughs> Also, using their power of the pen to, to really ensure 
that the democratic process is not only a fair one, but a just one for future generations to come. Here's the whole de- here's the whole deal for me, Michael. Um, now they're new when he is. Okay, I mean, I mean, look at the laws in New York. Um, we're gonna change those too. I mean, that 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 to me is what's hilarious. <laughs> this new complaint. Well, there are more early voting days in Georgia th- than there are in New York. So you think actually? Endorsing. I mean, there have been there have been uh, progressives who have been advocating for a very long time a change in New York's archaic voting law system. Y'all, that ain't one to stand on. No, it's not. And uh, you you know the the whole politics of um, you know how it intertwines with sports. You know, we've always had civil disobedience and 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 certainly athletes and celebrities standing up. But I don't know if it ever really transcended like it did during the during 45 years, after obviously Colin Kaepernick took his knee and then uh, telling him to fire all the sons of bitches or whatever 45 said. It became a different kind of uh, you know more in the gutter about athletes and celebrities. I know that the right thinks that most athletes and celebrities are Democrats or on the left, um, and so they they take hits at that. But it doesn't help to the, you know, the first part of your, your question of the segment, it doesn't help when leaders, when business leaders kind of get very marshmallowish when these issues pop up. There's no reason in the world, obviously, whether it's Delta, Coca-Cola, or a host of other companies that are based in Georgia, saw this coming. They knew that, that the governor was going to sign it. So there's not like it came as a shock. So those first statements that came out that I just call a little marshmallowish, frankly wrong. Um, and then they had to backpedal. Uh, instead of, so, and if you're a Republican or a right leader, you know they're going to act marshmallowish. So you're able to bully them too. And that's what happened. And so until you stop being marshmallow and come out and really take a stand and really, you know, and then you can't just threaten to leave or threaten to do something, you have to do it. <laughs> That's really the only thing that's going to matter to folks. Not that they care about a lot of those jobs, even though they, again, think the perception is that a lot of those jobs at the airport uh, and at the Coca-Cola bottling plants are people of color and low-wage earners, so they don't care about them. That's not true. There are a lot of white folks that work at Delta and a lot of white folks that work at Coca-Cola. So, obviously, the, the hypocrisy is ridiculous, but until business leaders stand up, this kind of behavior is going to continue. Look, this is real simple, uh, Cleo. If y'all don't want corporations coming after you, if y'all don't want uh, the woke mob coming after you, how about you not embracing white supremacy? How about that? Let's do a trade-off. Let's do a trade-off. We won't cancel your ass if you don't embrace white supremacy. I, I think that's fair. You being so mean to these poor Republicans. Just no, I don't mean. give a damn about any of them. Like I don't, uh, I, mean, I don't give a damn about any of them. I don't either. I don't either. I'm, I'm, I'm being somewhat sarcastic, though. I, you, you are being mean, but I agree with the mean. Yes, I'm being very mean. I'm being very petty because they, because they are trash, despicable people who are also sore losers. You got your ass whooped. Here's the whole deal. Okay, you're mad. You got your ass whooped. Take yeah, the but, L. But as you know, these people always get mad. And they've always gotten mad. 
and they always have started saying stuff like, "What well, this guy just said that because of Stacey Abrams and Biden's lies, the team left Atlanta. It's just, it's not logical. But we'll see how this rolls out ultimately because they've been lying and being illogical and moving the goalpost and saying things that aren't true. I mean, Donald Trump, the former president, lied all the way to the White House and lied all the way in the White House. And from, from my perspective, wasn't for COVID-19, he would still be in the White House. So it'd be interesting to see how this all rolls out because despite white supremacy, these people who love white powers, despite their, their, their kicking and screaming, it seems that they're losing. It seems that they're losing based on voting and, any, and all logical things. But the lies have to work for them. And mixed mixed messages and stretching the truth has worked. Uh, so the fact that he hasn't finished singing, we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. See, I mean, th th that that really is 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 what we're dealing with here, Teresa. And, and I need people to understand, everybody who's watching, who's listening, to understand these evil, demented people will use the power of the office to exact revenge on anyone. Mitch McConnell came out with a statement uh, saying, you know, that it's, it's grossly unfair what these companies are doing and uh, they should keep their, their, their nose out of uh, politics. And here's what I find to be interesting. But, but y'all don't mind their money. Y'all, because, I mean, y'all were the ones who uh, push, uh, of course, of that uh, corporations are people to allow this, uh, all of this unregulated money in politics Oh, so, so, and then, so now, so here's the quote this fool gave to Politico. Uh, Y'all, go ahead. Corporations will invite serious, serious consequences if they become a vehicle for far-left mobs to hijack our country from outside the constitutional order. I, 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 I'm sorry, Mitch. Uh, you can't have it both ways. You, you, you can't support Citizens United, which the Supreme Court deemed that corporations are people and they get to have a voice in politics, oh, I'm sorry, but then you mad. Boo, then you mad. Because they now speaking against something you like. So they were your bay yesterday. They were your political bay yesterday when y'all were getting all that money. AT&T is giving more than $500,000 to Republicans in Texas. And then, then Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uh, they should keep their nose out of it, but 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 you got hundred and fifty thousand from them. So which is it? Which is it? Would you like for them to be, in essence, uh, yo ho? <laughs> I guess Republicans are saying, uh, we want y'all to be our hoe, uh, give us your money, and then shut up. So I guess the Republican Party really desires to be pimps. Y'all want to take the money, but then they can't talk back. I, that's, that's probably the best analogy I can come up with for today's Republican Party. Yeah, Republicans what? are pimps. Um, so <laughs> yes, they're pimps. They're pimps, and they want they want their hoes to be quiet. Yes, I said it. And essentially, corporations are in a very difficult spot being uh, the, you know, uh, prostitutes of the pimps. 
because, you know, law, for a very, very long time, corporations, you know, have been able to donate behind the scenes to campaigns. They have been able to support their candidates, you know, under different IEs. And I think now people are starting to take with all these websites and blogs and, um, you know, laws that you have to expose and basically tell all um, everything that's on a financial report. I think it's putting them in a very difficult spot where they have to make a decision. And they're like, we have to make a decision that hopefully doesn't hurt our business. But in this space, and, and because of the type of products that they're serving and the type of leadership, there's no longer business as usual because everybody is doing good government. People are starting to, to look into some of the accounts and some of their positions. So it's just not enough to spend a half a million dollars on black and minority communities. And then it's not okay to, to help voter suppression. So I think a lot of these social justice organizations and groups are really pulling their feet to the fire, same way you're doing, Roland, because if we don't, they'll continuously do the, the, the backdoor um, type of investment where they think it's in their better benefit. So really, they're really playing, you know, bad politics when they're not really listening to the concerns of the people that they employ and 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 those they um, elect probably personally, but not publicly. I, I love this quote here, Michael, from Mitch McConnell. Parts of the private sector keep dabbling in behaving like a woke parallel government. Corporations will invite serious consequences if they become a vehicle for far-left mobs. So he called them behaving like a woke parallel government but again, lead pimp, you like they money. See, it's a little hard for me, Michael, to listen to somebody, uh, these corporations. Now, y'all need to shut up. Y'all need to be quiet. But you like their money. And that's how it's, uh, you know, frankly, um, has been, is, and will continue to be. But that's where the... So I'm not necessarily upset that AT&T gave 500,000 to Texas Republicans. I am. That's, you know, that that that's not that I, and I know that's not where you are either. That's not that's not the that's not where we are. The issue is if I'm writing that check for 500,000, you better believe actually I'm going to say something. Right. That gives me more of a right to speak up. So, frankly, I don't know why you the better comment from from leader McConnell should have been Oh, you know what? I appreciate your thoughts. We take it under advisement. Or something like that. Not not what they're saying because it is so tired. And it's going to continue to be tired because they didn't like losing. They never thought they were going to lose those last two Georgia seats. They never thought in a million years maybe they were going to lose one of them. But not both. And so I think that sent a shell shock, obviously, through the Republicans. We have to do something. We can't have all these black and Latino folks voting. That's just not an option. We have to restrict it as much as we can because I don't know if Biden's going to... That's what they're saying. Their, their calculus is, I don't know if the Biden-Harris Biden administration will have the courage to get rid of the filibuster to fix voting rights. That's what they're counting on. Now, then now we'll have to wait and see, you know, what happens. Bottom line is here, uh, Cleo. Um, we should be using everything in our arsenal. Everything. Because what these people are doing is nasty and despicable. I remember what they did in North Carolina, how they specifically targeted black voters. And that was ruled unconstitutional. And it was way beyond a voter ID. That's the little cover they love. Oh, you need an ID to go into the mall? Uh-uh. And I see, I see, we ain't falling for the okie doke. Okay? 
and my whole deal, and then the whole deal, but you haven't read the bill. Yes, we've read the bill, and the bill is trash. Call it for I what agree. it is. I agree with you, Roland, that they're dangerous. And again, I hate to sound so vague, but I'm waiting to see what happens because, you know, I haven't been on your show, on your show in a while, and I'm back on the show at least today, and I'm hearing the same old issue around white these white power mongers manipulating. I think the term pimp is appropriate because pimps are people who bully, who manipulate, who make false information up to make their, their victims confused. And that's why these people are using terms like, what do you say, um, far-left mobs. They're trying to make people on the left sound like mean monsters who are coming to get you. And it's the same type of language that Trump used. And we'll see how it rolls out, because it's worked for them in the past. Yes, we've seen some major changes based on the vote, based on the fact that, for example, even though Trump had, like, what, 73 million people who voted for him and a few more voted for a few million more voted for, for Biden and, and Kamala, we still are in a, in a, a heap here. The fight is not over. So I hope people realize that, like you said, we need to hang in there, we need to fight, we need to resist, and we need to be steadfast because people like Brian Kemp, they're all over this country, and they're sending out mixed messages, they're pimping, and a lot of people get intimidated and become prostitutes for them, if you will. And some of these people in these corporations are trying to figure out what to do, Delta, et cetera, they're trying to they're trying to go where they can keep their head up and get support from the government and stay in in position, but they're not necessarily supportive of black folks and black people having power and equity. So it's a chess game, and we will see what happens again when Biden, excuse me, when when the governor of Georgia blames Biden and Stacey Abrams for the people leaving, the sports team leaving. That's manipulation. That's them doing what they do. And we'll see how it rolls out. Well, uh, bottom line is this here. They better get used to uh, more folks uh, walking with their dollars because um, guess what? Y'all can't shut us up, and we're not going anywhere. So I'm just letting y'all know, get used to it. We're going to keep wearing that ass out. We're going to keep it up. And if it causes you to lose money, guess what? You knew that before you passed the bill but you still chose to pass the bill. And well, we gonna, I think the... Um, and we gonna wear that ass out, and if it causes you to lose more money, so be it. I think the spoiled brat metaphor is kind of problematic because calling us spoiled brats implies that they're just tip children having tantrums. And I think this is war. Oh, I I, first of all, I've always called it war. But what I'm yeah, saying but, is... But, what I'm saying is you're a spoiled brat when you're like, oh, we lost, and it was a lie. It was a voter fraud. Where's, where's your evidence? Well, I don't have any, but uh, I was. There were, there were buckets and buckets and buckets and bags and truckloads of ballots that were shipped in. They were just voting like crazy in, uh, in Fulton County. Uh, we have no evidence of that, and actually Republicans say it didn't happen. Yeah, but no, that just... Uh, They want control, no matter what. Oh, no doubt. No doubt they want control. No doubt. No doubt. But the bottom line is here. We gonna call every lie, every lie we gonna call out. Every lie we're gonna call out.
Gotta go to a break. We come back. Today's our testimony, Derek Chauvin murder trial. Uh, we'll break it down for you. Uh, talk about getting called out by your former police chief. Yeah, that's what took place in today's trial. We'll show you next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Cancel culture. The cancel culture. There is a vast and thriving right-wing cancel culture. She said something the cancel culture doesn't like. This is the number yeah. one issue for the country to address today. Cancel culture has become a Republican talking point, which pretty much guarantees it's been taken out of context to perpetuate their constant victimhood complex. But the idea that the public is turning its back on Republicans because of cancel culture is ridiculous. No. It's time we stop using that term. Accountability culture is accurate. Consequence culture is accurate. If any occupation in America should be subjected to the whims of the public, it's our elected officials. If Donald Trump or anyone, for that matter, gets voted out of office, it's not cancel culture. It's democracy working as intended. And listen, the consequences can be far greater if we don't hold politicians accountable for their actions. Allowing people in power to chip away at our democracy, support white supremacy, or harass teenagers in the street completely unchecked? Well, that will most definitely alter your life. And while cancel culture is not the number one issue of our time, accountability culture for elected officials should certainly be up there on that list. And boy, do I understand why these mostly white conservative men are scared shitless. They've enjoyed an era of zero accountability with zero consequences. Sorry, we've all decided that era is effectively canceled. I'm Dion Cole, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay woke. Well, folks, today was at day six uh, of the Derek Chauvin murder trial taking place, of course, uh, in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, it was uh, gripping testimony today as the police chief of Minneapolis spoke, as well as the doctor, the emergency room doctor that treated George Floyd when he was taken in. Here is a roundup. Did you receive any information or indication from the paramedics when they brought Mr. Floyd in that anyone had attempted CPR on Mr. Floyd at the scene on May 25th, 2020? Overruled. I did not receive a report that Mr. Floyd had received bystander CPR, no. Did you uh, receive a report that he had received uh, CPR from any of the officers who may have been on the scene on May 25th, 2020? No. Is uh, the administration of CPR uh, right away important for you to know uh, when you're dealing with a patient who has suffered cardiac arrest? Is it important for you to know about that? It is in the sense that it informs the likelihood of survival. And, and what do you mean by that, Dr. Langenfeld? It's well known that any amount of time that a patient spends in cardiac arrest without immediate CPR um, markedly decreases the chance of a good outcome. Uh, approximately 10 to 15 percent decrease in survival uh, for every minute that CPR is not administered. And, and Dr. Uh, was your leading theory then for the cause of Mr. Floyd's cardiac arrest oxygen, oxygen deficiency? That was 
one of the more likely possibilities. I felt that at the time, based on the information I had, it was more likely than the other possibilities. And, and doctor, is there another name for death by oxygen deficiency? Asphyxia is a commonly understood term. Thank you, Dr. Langenthal. No further questions. Training is absolutely vitally essential uh, to us as a department. And, and officers are paid while they're being trained, is that correct? Yes, they are. And would it be fair to say that part of the objective of training is to impart um, Minneapolis Police Departmental policies onto the officers so that they know what, the, what those policies are and are able to apply them? Yes, it's, it's important through training that we're reemphasizing uh, not only our policies, but really our values as a police department um, and what our community expects of us. Uh, it's to help our officers and it's also to help our communities at the same time. Does Minneapolis uh, Police Department currently have uh, a de-escalation policy? We do. And uh, I guess, is it an either-or alternative? Is it like you either de-escalate or use force, and once you start using force, you just give up on de-escalation? Uh, the, the goal is to resolve the situation as safely as possible. So uh, you want to always have de-escalation um, layered into those actions of using force. Do you recognize Exhibit 17 to be an image taken from the bystander video that you reviewed? Yes, I do. Now, sir, um, based upon your review of all of the information that you just mentioned, um, do you believe that the defendant followed dep departmental policy 5-304 regarding de-escalation? I absolutely do not agree with that. And how so? Um, that action um, is not de-escalation. And when we talk about uh, the framework of our sanctity of life, and when we talk about the principles and values that we have, that, that action um, goes contrary to, uh, to what we're taught. As you reflect on Exhibit 17, I must ask you, is this a trained Minneapolis Police Department defensive tactics technique? It is not. Well, we read the uh, departmental policy on neck restraints. Is this a neck restraint? Um, the conscious neck restraint by policy mentions light to moderate pressure. When I look at Exhibit 17, um, and when I look at the facial expression of, of, of Mr. Floyd, that does not appear in any way, shape, or form that that is light to moderate pressure. So is it your belief then that this particular uh, form of restraint, if that's what you, if that's what we'll call it, uh, uh, in fact violates departmental policy? I absolutely agree that violates our policy. Once Mr. Floyd had stopped resisting, and certainly once he was um, uh, in distress and trying to verbalize that, um, that, that should have stopped. Um, there's, there's an initial reasonableness in trying to just get him under control over the, in the first few seconds, but, but uh, once there was no longer any resistance, and clearly, 
when Mr. Floyd was no longer responsive and even motionless to continue to apply that level of force to a person proned out, handcuffed behind their back, um, that, that in no way, shape, or form is anything that um, uh, is by policy, is not part of our training, and it is certainly not part of our ethics or our values. Mm, not part of our ethics or our values. See what happens uh, when you have a strong prosecution team. First of all, we need to give significant credit to Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, uh, for what they have done thus far, how they have approached this particular case. Uh, that, of course, was the emergency physician, uh, Dr. Bradford uh, uh, Langenfield, and Minneapolis Police Chief, uh, Madaria Arredondo, uh, testifying uh, today. A uh, long day of testimony uh, taking place there. Let's talk about this with Bernarda uh, uh, Villalona, Senior Trial Counsel for the Joy Jackson Law Firm. Uh, this had to be uh, again, um, Bernarda, one of those uh, good days for the prosecution to have that ER doctor just obliterate uh, the test, the uh, defense uh, team's uh, notion that it was drug use that killed George Floyd. Definitely. It was a definitely good day for the prosecution because you got to think that the two main issues that the defense is going after in this case is one, that George Floyd died as a result of a drug overdose, and that two, that the use of force that Derek Chauvin actually used was one that is allowed by the department there in Minnesota. So today, both of those things came crackling down. And so, uh, again, the defense tried to uh, tried to uh, push uh, the ER doc as well as the police chief, uh, didn't, didn't go so well. It definitely didn't work out in his favor, especially the most telling thing and the most uh, important thing that sticks out to me is that that doctor said that for each minute that George Floyd went without any medical attention, that being CPR, there is a 10 to point, a 10 to 15% chance that you are losing life. So that is what stood out more to me. But also, more importantly, is that George Floyd, unfortunately, was dead. He was in cardiac arrest from the moment that he was taken from the scene up until he was in the hospital. And it was just a technicality that a doctor had to pronounce him dead. Um, in terms of the police chief, this, this whole questioning of, uh, oh, when was the last time you actually walked the streets? I mean, come on, really? It's the police chief. Exactly. But here what you have is that the highest ranked police official in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, you have the highest ranked police official telling you, telling you that the practices that Derek Chauvin engaged in on that day where he put his knee on the neck of George Floyd was one that is not done by the police department. It is not one that is condoned by the police department. It was one that was excessive and hence deadly. Where do you think they go uh, in terms of where, where we go next with uh, with this trial? Because, uh, you know, the prosecution is methodically walking this thing down. And so uh, where do we go next? Well, it's going to continue along this same type of testimony, Roland, because you got to think from the very beginning, from opening statements, the defense already told you that what they're disputing is the cause of death, as well as the training of Derek Chauvin. Remember, they try to paint a picture in their opening that 
wow, Derek Chauvin, that he was distracted by this mob of people that included some juveniles with a love shirt on, and that he took his attention away from George Floyd because he was scared, he was threatened. So that is the line of questioning that they're going into. However, um, too bad for the defense that today you saw it, that you had the highest ranking police official as well as a training officer, the lieutenant, who has known Derek Chauvin for 20 years since he started the force, telling you, number one, this type of restraint is not used. Number two, this is deadly force. The force that he used is deadly. It is the last resort, especially is extreme and excessive when you're dealing with a man that is not being violent, a man that is not resisting, a man that is not armed, a man that is in a prone position, a man that is handcuffed, a man that is not a threat to you. And you use the highest level of force. And that highest level of force is what got you here. Those nine minutes and 29 seconds of that deadly force that you put on the neck of George Floyd. And what does that equal out to? Murder. All right, then. Bernardo, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Let's go to our panel here, uh, Cleo Monago. Um, your thoughts uh, how this is going thus far? Uh, as, of course, the defense is trying their best to put George Floyd on trial, the prosecution keeps coming back. No, 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 no. It's you, Chauvin. It's you. It doesn't look good for the defense. And the chief of police saying what he said seems to be a, you know, nails in the coffin. But what I was thinking as I watched this because of the previous conversation is that the defense's logic that this was drug abuse and all the other things they're saying to kind of throw people off reminds me of what um, McConnell and Brian Kemp and these Republicans do. They are wrong and they're doing the wrong thing and they do damage like Chauvin has and they try to find these excuses to blame the people who they're victimizing for what they're doing. Like again, with Kemp blaming the Stacey and Biden for the team leaving when it's them who did it. It's a, it's, a, it's a powerful metaphor, and the death of George Floyd is a powerful metaphor, too, and the knee on his neck, and that he was pleading for his life, and they didn't care. And I think that people who are watching this show, black folks particularly, need to understand that the people who are resisting logic and who are fighting against our ability to vote and live our lives in the hands of police are really a serious threat to us, and we need to stand up against it in every opportunity that we get. But it, it don't look good at all for the defense. And again, we'll see what occurs. I mean, I, do you know who the jury is yet? Um, well, first of all, we, you know, we, we don't know the names of the jury, but uh, again, we do know a think of the jury. Uh, ter uh, Teresa, your assessment. Yeah, I mean, it's been a full week of um, trying to understand um, nine minutes and 29 seconds um, from the defense point of view. And I, I don't believe the public has even gotten to that point. I mean, honestly, the, the grief and the trauma of the witnesses that, um, you know, their testimony of recording it and, and feeling like, you know, they could have done more, they should have, you know, stepped in. I mean, that has been really traumatizing um, for anybody who, who is there knowing that, you know, someone literally died right before your eyes and there's nothing you can do. But I, like I said before, I think the prosecution is doing a phenomenal job um, in ensuring that we are staying on track and staying on focus because once we get off focus, we allow the defense uh, narrative to um, pretty pretty much take over this case, and which which we can't, right? We can't let this be another Zimmerman case. We have to make sure that the George 
Floyd case is is not only a learning experience and educational, but true justice actually reigns here in the U.S. Michael. You know, we can all certainly watch these videos as we've done time and time again and, and the new footage, which is just traumatic. I mean, it's just awful. Um, and to, to a lot of us, this isn't, you know, kind of easy, open, shut. The problem is in our country, in our system of justice, it just takes one juror to find some reasonable doubt to say, you know what, you know what, he was in danger, he's a big guy, and all it takes is one juror. And that's what's so troubling about these cases where too many of us, it seems so easy and so, so open and shut. The problem is in our system of justice, it just takes one juror back in that room who could have come in saying, I'm never gonna convict this white guy, this white police officer. I don't care what the evidence is. I don't care what the video. I don't care how the jurors try to browbeat me. I am not going to convict. Hopefully, that's not the case. Hopefully, we have jurors that are being objective, looking at the evidence. And keep in mind, too, over the last week, uh, or however many days it's been for the uh, prosecution to put on its case, and you're right, I agree with you, General Ellison should get a lot of credit along with the prosecutors. But during this last week, it's just been all the prosecution case. Yeah, we've heard some stuff in the media. Yeah, we've heard some of the cross-examination questions. But the defense puts on their case, too. And so we'll have to see what they come, come in with, though we, don't, you know, we certainly don't have to believe any of it, or it certainly doesn't matter. But just keep in mind, they have to get their shot, too. Well, that is the case, and so we'll certainly be uh, paying more attention to exactly what happens uh, with uh, the next phase of the trial. But uh, again, uh, we're now in week two, uh, and there is more to come. Got to go to a break. We'll be, we'll be back on Roller Martin Unfiltered in a moment. America is starting to breathe again. A decent man as president, a plan to protect us. It feels almost normal, but it's not. Republicans still will not admit that President Biden was legally elected, which means they don't believe in democracy. They believe an election is only legitimate if they win. That's not democracy. Their plan? Pass voter suppression bills to block minorities from voting. Take back Congress. Impeach President Biden. We refuse. We refuse to accept the end of the American experiment. We refuse to allow anti-democratic autocrats to steal our country. We choose to fight, and we will not lose. Join us. I'm Bill Duke. This is Diala Riddle. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packer. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Many of us have been watching the murder trial of Derek Chauvin. Folks have been shocked and stunned and too difficult to actually watch. And others are talking about reliving the trauma of what happened to George Floyd and how it haunts us. Joining us right now is psychologist Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Gardier. Doc, always good to ha have you on the show. Great to have you, Rowan. Great to be here. So how, so how do we deal with that? Because I did that first week. I mean, it, there were a number of people who just simply said, I, I can't watch this. I can't take this. Uh, and not just watching the video, but just the testimony uh, that was given. Yeah, I, certainly I've talked to many people who've said that they have not been able to watch it as well. And I say to them, look, 
Get the information that you need. I know that we want to stay up on this. I know that we want to uh, witness what's going on because this is history. Uh, certainly the prosecution seems to be doing uh, a pretty good job. There might be some sort of justice that comes out of this trial more than any of the others that we've seen. But when you've had enough, stop. Turn it off. Instead, communicate with others. Talk to your loved ones. Let them know how you feel about this. Because, Roland, we're being re-traumatized over and over and over by watching the horrific death of this man. And, and again, not just, I think, just watching the video, uh, but those witnesses who had to recount their testimony uh, and them feeling so helpless as a result. Yeah, I think many of us feel that way because I know there's certainly much more we could have done either through social protests, uh, getting involved with community boards. I think we've kind of been sleepwalking through what's been going on. But certainly the pandemic has given us the empathy to wake up and uh, realize that we can't let this continue to happen. I know you're talking about Chris Martin. You're talking about Darnella Frazier. You're talking about the elderly gentleman, uh, Charles McMillan, how he cried like a baby on that Stand. He cried because he knew that in his heart he wanted to do more, though he possibly couldn't do more. That Chris Martin wished that perhaps he hadn't given that $20 bill or Darnella, uh, you know, was traumatized by watching what was going on in the streets against George Floyd. Uh, so certainly we're seeing from this trial more than on any other of them, Roland, the guilt, the collective guilt that these individuals who were there were feeling, but also the guilt and the shame that America has been feeling in looking the other way, and now they can't look away any longer. We'll go to my panel for questions. Uh, I'll first start with Teresa Lundy. Teresa, your questions for Dr. Jeffrey Gardier. Hi, doctor. Um, so, I mean, the public is watching this day after day. Um, is there something that you can, you know, give us for uh, tips? You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm literally my lunch breaks are now talking about this case, you know, and I, what can we do so we don't, um, again, we're taking this into our home. So what can we do to, to alleviate some of the stress? You know what? I, I think uh, it is absolutely appropriate uh, when we are looking at this trial for us to be able to communicate to other people, as I had talked about earlier, uh, to be able to talk about what that pain feels like, to be able to process not just alone, but with other people who have been through this, and more than anything else, uh, starting to get involved through community policing, uh, through making sure that we're involved uh, with social organizations, because perhaps in many ways with uh, the assault on voters' rights that we're seeing uh, in many of the states in Texas and starting to see in, in Georgia and in Arizona, this does feel like a psychological and physical assault against us. And the best thing that we can do is to not hold that pain in, but to let it out, to cry, to scream, to protest peacefully. So yes, your question is a good one. We shouldn't be held hostage to this, but now this should be the motivation for us to get out and finally all of us 
do something about this so that we can try to mitigate these cases. We know they're going to happen over and over again, but the more we can do to empower uh, other people, to empower our children, to give them that dreaded talk, um, that's what needs to be done to keep people alive. Michael. And doctor, how do you deal with, um, you know, the urge or the temptation that, that many people have when you're having discussions with somebody that sees those videotapes in a different way? How do you resist the temptation when to pop them in the nose um, <laughs> when they're saying something stupid like, oh, well, why didn't he just get in the car? I mean, well, you know, and you're watching this poor man lose all his bodily functions. I mean, what, what do you say to somebody that just seems ignorant to basically what happened, what's been going on in America for four centuries? I think more than anything else is letting them know the pain that you feel from the ignorance from what it is that they are saying and to help them find their empathy, to help them find their humanity. And as a, a psychologist, I've run into this every once in a while, to explore with them what was the trauma that they faced? What are the uh, untruths that they are uh, in many ways digesting that keeps them in denial as to what's going on? And how has white privilege not only destroyed uh, in many ways many of our rights, but how has it destroyed who they are that they don't have the potential to look at a human being and say, oh my God, we cannot allow this to continue happening. Uh, look, I, I think there are many people who have made that conversion, who have been able to change, who have been able to touch their own empathy and humanity through COVID, but more than anything, through this horrific death of George Floyd. Anyone who still sees this as something as if it was George Floyd's fault, well, I think that is a deeper issue for that person on that other end of the spectrum. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Cleo. Greetings, Dr. Gadir. It's Greetings. my perspective that Black people are in a trauma trance. We are already traumatized. And the trauma preceded, long preceded this, this case and the murder of George Floyd. Um, I have not seen the George Floyd murder. I have not watched the trial. I'm not, I have not watched any of it because I have seen enough trauma. Um, I'm doing part of what you've already said, which is get out there and get do work, be in the community. My work is about trauma deflection for black people. But I wanted your assessment of this. Do you believe that the murder of George Floyd and all the spectacle is a new trauma or is it a exasperation of pre-existing trauma that we're already enduring? Uh, many people have used this word, re-traumatization. We use it a lot in psychology and social work to talk about children perhaps who've been sexually or physically abused or uh, received some other abuse. And as they're growing up, they're still seeing and receiving that abuse every day. I truly believe that black and brown people and, and, and others who have been marginalized are experiencing that trauma every day. The, the racism, um, the, the institutional racism. And yes, it is a perpetual state of 
uh, trauma, of emotional hurt. Um, and that's why I believe that racism does kill. We know that people begin to break down when they have that fight or flight mode uh, dealing with racism. And that's why we must find a way to address this. This is not about an ideological difference. This is about life and death for those on the streets uh, who have been killed, who are unarmed or some other situation. And for those of us who live day to day, living while black, that in itself can kill us. Uh, it has certainly been uh, a, a, a difficult one. Doc, what do you uh, propose um, after this trial? You know, what do families do? I mean, what, what do they say to their children? Uh, because the reality is we have seen numerous videos like this. We've seen the Eric Garner video. We've seen the John Crawford III video. We've, I mean, we can just go on and on and on. And so at some point, you know, do folks get numb to this? Uh, or do people just simply say, you know what, I can't take it, I'm gonna turn it off. How do we deal with it where we need to confront it but not run away from it? Uh, certainly, we cannot let this pass as just another incident. Um, this has to be that moment where we say, now, how do we turn the ideas into action? What is it that we need to do? How do we change these police departments? Because we've seen even members of that Minneapolis Police Department have said that what happened uh, between Derek Chauvin and George Floyd was absolutely wrong. That was bad policing. That was police abuse. So how do we use that? I'm sorry now? No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And so how do we use that to begin to change police departments across the nation? But just as importantly, how do we begin to educate our children to be able to not only avoid these situations, but own these situations by integrating in and becoming part of these police departments, part of community policing, to becoming politicians, to becoming leaders that are able to bring all people together to stop this kind of hate. All right. Dr. Jeffrey Gardia, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Roland. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, man, some sad news uh, we got. I got a text message today uh, about uh, a sister who um, appeared on our show a couple of times. Uh, the folks in the D DMV education community, they are mourning the death of Elizabeth Davis, the Washington Teachers Union president. She died in a two-car crash in Prince George's County uh, Sunday night. Now, she was elected to one of the city's uh, most powerful labor positions in 2013. Uh, the 70-year-old educator spent the last year leading the more than 4,000-person union through school closures amid the pandemic. Described as a straight-talking and tireless old-school organizer, Davis revamped the struggling union when she took it over and implemented broad social justice mandates. She believed democracy is at the core of any union, the Washington Teachers Union needed to have the backing of its members and the public. Davis was known to give every teacher her cell phone number and told them to reach out to her with any issues they encountered, no matter how small. She was born in North Carolina, and her mother moved to the district when Davis was in the third grade in search of better educational opportunities for her daughter. They live in the Capitol Hill area, and Davis attended her neighborhood schools. She was a graduate of Eastern High School in the University of District of Columbia. A teacher for four decades, Elizabeth Davis worked at half a dozen schools during her career. Uh, again, passed away yesterday in the tragic car accident at the age of 70.
We'll go to a break. Back in a moment. I believe that it's movement time again. In America today, the economy is not working for working people. The poor and the needy are being abused. You are the victims of power. And this is the abuse of economic power. I'm 23 years old. I work three jobs. Work seven days a week. No days off. They're paying people pennies on the dollar compared to what they profit. And it is time for this to end. Essential workers have been showing up to work, feeding us, caring for us, delivering goods to us throughout this entire pandemic. And they've been doing it on a measly $7.25 minimum wage. The highest check I ever got was Fight for 15 is a lot more than about $15 an hour. This is about a fight for your dignity. We have got to recognize that working people deserve livable wages. And it's long past time for this nation to go to 15 so that moms and dads don't have to choose between asthma inhalers and rent. I'm halfway homeless. The main reason that people end up in their cars is because income does not match housing cost. If I could just only work one job, I could have more time with them. It is time for the owners of Walmart, McDonald's, Dollar General, and other large corporations to get off welfare and pay their workers a living wage. And if you really want to tackle racial equity, you have to raise the minimum wage. We're not just fighting for our families, we're fighting for yours too. We need this. I'm going to fight for it until we get it. I'm not going to give up. We just need all of us to stand up as one nation and just fight together. Families are relying on these salaries and they must be paid at a minimum $15 an hour. $15 a minimum anyone should be making this available to stay out of poverty. I can't take it no more. I'm doing this for not only me, but for everybody. We need 15 right now. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Oh, y'all, The Whiteness of Wealth is a recently released book that examines how the current tax code unfairly taxes black people and prevents us from achieving the same kind of wealth our white counterparts have access to. Joining me now is Dorothy Brown. She's the author of The Whiteness of Wealth. Dorothy, glad to have you here. All right, Dorothy, so let's just be honest. Most people, they, don't, they hate taxes. They yes. don't want to <laughs> spend the time doing taxes. They don't want to sit here and bother. They are like, look, I got other stuff to do. Uh, and so, uh, so lay out your thesis here uh, in terms of um, your notion of how the tax code is hooking white folks up and screwing black people. Yes, so hopefully by the time they finish listening to this interview, people will realize taxes really do matter. So my research, which is based on 25 years of scholarship, shows that when white Americans and black Americans engage in the exact same thing, whether it's home ownership or marriage or jobs, tax policy advantages how white Americans do the behavior and disadvantage how black Americans do the behavior. So your next question is, what are you talking about, right? So let's take home ownership. First of all, 
tax subsidies for home ownership are only going to benefit people who own homes, and the majority of black Americans don't own homes. But that's not the worst piece of the puzzle. The worst piece of the puzzle is when black Americans own homes, tax law doesn't help them the way it helps white Americans. Why? Because black homeowners live in different neighborhoods from white homeowners. And the most homes that appreciate the most are in white neighborhoods where most black Americans don't live and white Americans don't want to live next to too many black Americans. When homes appreciate and sell for a gain, tax law says if you're married, the first half a million dollars of gain, you get tax free. So you say, well, Dorothy, what's the problem? When black people sell home at a game, they get a half a million tax free. When white people sell homes at a game, right? Well, no, because the people with the most gains are those living in neighborhoods that are almost all white. That's not where most black homeowners live. And more importantly, black homeowners are more likely to sell their home at a loss. And tax law doesn't allow losses on the sale of homes. So, so, so again, so let's 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 sort of let's sort of walk through this. And so, um, when you talk about the tax code, when you talk about, for instance, right now there are blue state Democrats who are trying to get uh, the provision of the property taxes, the mortgage taxes, yes. put back into to put back on the books that was removed. Uh, by right. the Trump the and Republicans yep. Yep. because, frankly, they wanted to penalize uh, those particular blue That's states. Right. Well, if you're black and you're renting, if you're renting yes. a home, that doesn't benefit you. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So any tax subsidy for home ownership is going to benefit white Americans more than black Americans because the majority of white Americans are homeowners, but the majority of blacks are renters. And so... And so when we look at the black home ownership rate, 40, 41, maybe 42 percent right now, white Americans, right. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's above 60 percent. And so what's happening is our money is being handed to somebody else and we're getting no discernible, we're getting no, no return on that. But the person who owns the property, they're the ones who are benefiting from that. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So and... I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. And when you look at home ownership in America, white middle class has built off the backs of home ownership. But it's not the same for black homeowners because we do not get the same return on our investment when we become homeowners because we live in neighborhoods that where the homes don't appreciate as much. Um, how else is the is the uh, tax code? Um, penalizing black folk, folks but helping out white folks. So let's talk about marriage. When white people get married, they are more likely to get a tax cut. Why? Because they have one stay-at-home spouse and one wor- spouse who works in the paid labor market. When that couple gets married, they get a tax cut. Black married couples, on the other hand, like my parents, and I talk about them in the book, my mother was a nurse, my father was a plumber, Their incomes were almost equal. They never got a tax cut because of how the tax laws work. And for decades, they paid higher taxes. So how the tax laws work is if you have a single wage earner household where one person works outside and one person works inside, 
tax cut. If you have two equal earners that most married black couples fall in that category, they don't get a tax cut. Hmm. So here you have white and black Americans doing the same thing, getting married. But tax law advantages how white Americans do marriage. One single wage earner household and disadvantage how black Americans do marriage, which is two equal earners. Um, one of the things also um, that, that I think when you look at um, um, the, the greatest beneficiary, real estate, frankly, yes. uh, all how, how Trump, the game is played, how you can just write stuff off, all sorts of different things like that. That also, again, when we're not owning land, we're not owning properties, owning building, we're not taking we're not taking advantage. Look, I, I, I tell people all the time, and I, I remember when um, uh, I would hire people to do my taxes, uh, and people go like, "Man, I can't believe you spend that money." I said, "Well, first of all, if I hire somebody to do my taxes, that's also a tax write-off." It used to be, yes. And so the person was kind of like, "Okay, what do you mean?" I said, "Yo, white folks create the tax code, yes. so I'm not going to just sit a fill out an easy form." And just uh, just go, oh, can I quickly get, get, get some kind of check back? No, I'm going to figure out the same thing they've been doing uh, to get rich. Right. Right. And that's what they're doing. That's right. And, that's right. And so how do we that's get... Right. Go, ahead, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and the real problem, I mean, the thing that struck me the most is, you know, we're, we're told if you buy a house, if you get married, if you do all these things, then you'll be able to build wealth. And here we have tax law saying, but if you do it while black, no tax break for you. Uh, questions for our panel. Michael, I'm going to start with you. You know, um, first, good, good work, uh, cousin, on your, uh, on your book. My last name is Brown, by the way. Um, thank see, you, thank try, you. See, trying to claim no Omega, man, move on. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have, when you, when we talk about the, the wealth and the tax code and, and how does gentrification play into that? So when you talk about obviously the neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods that are changing and when a yes. family, when a, when a grandmother passes away and children have the option of taking it over and they're like, ah, I don't want to pay these high urban taxes. I'm going to sell it. Is that, should they, should, should they hold on to that property and maybe rent it out to help pay oh. some of those expenses or should they take the 500,000 or the million or whatever it is and walk away? Well, usually if a neighborhood is gentrifying, they're not going to have the option of half a million, right? It's not appreciated right. that much. You need the neighborhood to gentrify, and then you can sell it for a lot of money. The problem is you see elderly homeowners in that situation, and they've been in their home for decades, and then the neighborhood gentrifies, and then property taxes shoot up, and they're unable to pay their property taxes, so they wind up losing the home and the possibility of equity. So if there are options, then you want want to stay in the home rent or rent it out so that you're the owner. And when gentrification occurs, property values are going to increase and you're going to wind up with potential wealth from selling the home tax-free. Got it. Cleo Monago. I'm shaking my head because I, I know what she's saying is true. And it almost kind of answers some of my question. My question for her was, what's an example of the recipe out of this situation, the situation okay. of the black barriers 
to the wealth, the wealth that white people get to access. You just gave it. So, yeah, and, and here's the problem. Black people are between a rock and a hard place. So let's stick with home ownership. If you want a good financial investment, then you want to be the only black person in the neighborhood, in the all-white neighborhood. But that comes with problems. It comes with your neighbor calling the cops on you when you're trying to get in your house. It, call, it comes with you having to fight with the school because your black child has been targeted for doing nothing. So you have to deal with what I call racism triage, right? You have to deal with this nonsense and figure out, well, I got to fight that battle, but I can't fight that battle. So it's a good financial investment, but you're dealing with a lot of stress. Alternatively, you buy in an all-black neighborhood or racially diverse neighborhood where your children will see other people who look like them, where your neighbors won't call the cops, but you won't get the financial benefit you would in the all-white neighborhood. So I would advise people, live where you want to live, but be conscious and intentional. So don't be house poor if you're buying in an all-black neighborhood or racially diverse neighborhood. Stay away from home equity loans because your house is not going to appreciate the way your white colleague's house who lives on a different part of town does. Uh, all right, then. Well, look, uh, it, that is uh, certainly uh, some, some critically important advice. I, I just really, I, I just really, you know, again, we go back to this whole, we, we hear all this talk, financial literacy, financial literacy. And this, to me, is where when you don't know, you don't know. Um, and and right. I just think in so, in so many ways, uh, we've got to have constant, constant education, constant classes, uh, churches, organizations. Uh, I know we love our organizations and our meetings, but the bottom line is here, uh, if you're getting people to understand uh, the tax code, understand how wealth is created, understand um, how folks write things off, gifts they make to organizations, things along those lines. Uh, that that you know, all that's important, and I think for too, too many of us, and I get it. Uh, for a lot of us, frankly, we have this idea. We have this idea that you know what that that's for the folk who making six figures uh, and higher. But there right. are there there are, <laughs> there are other families who are not making that, but they have they are armed with the information. And when right. you're armed with the information, that is what changes the game. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And so that's that's just what I, you know. I'm encouraging you know our folks uh, to do to get more of the information to understand uh, why we must really have a totally different outlook uh, when it comes to uh, our, our you know our financial planning. And, and and last point, if you can speak to, not allow our folks to use the excuse well. My mama and daddy never told me. Okay, now you can change yes. that. Yes, you can read my book, right? And recognize the system was not designed for black wealth. When people wind up, when black Americans wind up wrestling wealth out of this system, it is, as I talk about in the book, it's a bit of luck and it's a bit of strategy. So the more you know, the more you can do, but the one thing I want your listeners to think about is this system was not designed for us to build wealth. So if we want to build wealth, we have to be smarter. Yeah, no, we we were the reason they built wealth. Right. Yeah, it, no, it wasn't for us at all. So, but it is, but it is a matter of getting us to understand that again. 
the information. That's the piece. That's it's, right. it's, the, it's the constant information. All right, again, put the book up, please, y'all. Uh, just one more time, folks, to understand the whiteness of wealth, how the tax system impoverishes black Americans, and how we can fix it. Dorothy A. Brown, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered in just a moment. I'm Cupid, the maker of the Cupid Shuffle and the Wham Dance. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. And if you're ready, you are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. With COVID restrictions loosening up across the country, many people are going back to their lives pre-pandemic, especially getting back into the gym. Is that a good idea? Joining us now from Atlanta's Effect Fitness is owner Dooley. Dooley, how you doing? How you doing, man? Uh, all good. So, um, during the pandemic, it was crazy. If you went to a sporting goods store, you literally could not find any equipment whatsoever. Um, I mean, I'm talking about they were they were selling uh, they were selling uh, dumbbells uh, on eBay for a thousand dollars. They they literally couldn't find uh, more equipment. Um, do you believe that as we are people getting the vaccine, that folks are going to drastically change what they used to do, flock to flock to uh, gyms, other places out of fear of contracting COVID or getting sick? I feel like this is the this has been the the reprogramming of people's minds has been the toughest part about getting people back in the gym. Like you just said, it is a still a fear, it's still a phobia. People, I got people that just choking on water, coughing, and people looking around thinking it might be COVID. So it's really a reprogramming of people's minds. Like the body is the easiest part to kind of get back where we tried to get it to. It's the mind part that that took the biggest toll during the pandemic. And and what we're working on really is just reprogramming people's mind to just get back in the gym. Understand that, yes, other things going on, but the things that you actually can control is your health and your wellness. So I feel like the biggest part that's 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 for the pandemic is just being pre-programming people's minds. And when you talk about pre-programming their minds, have you seen, first of all, what's been blowing up, people who are doing these virtual workouts. Uh, and so how have you, as a business owner, how have you had to shift uh, your business? Same way. Like I said, we were really all about in-house. So during the pandemic, we even launched an app. We had uh, our, our businesses almost quadrupled during the pandemic because literally it forced us to, like I said, reprogram the way we thought about business in the fitness industry. And we when we downloaded, we started our own app and we got pretty much the same amount of people doing this stuff virtually as we do in-house now. So it's been a beautiful thing for us as well. So this video we're playing right now, I mean, again, that, 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 that's, that's a packed joint. 
Uh, it's going to be a little hard to get folk to go back to that, bro. We understand that. We un and that's why, like I said, as a business owner, like we, we're taking all the proper steps. That's why we, we pride ourselves on what we're actually doing throughout the day. So as far as the fog and the sanitizing after each and every class, we don't, we don't like you said, the uh, equipment, we, don't, we no longer share equipment. You have to bring your own equipment to the gym. We make it to where literally... If you don't feel comfortable about being here with us, please download the app. Let's get it in virtually. But we are taking every step, all the precautions to make sure that everyone that comes here feels safe. Even setting up uh, COVID testing outside of our gym on your way in. So we feel good about all the steps we're taking about having those that many people back in here. How do you feel about uh, this uh, this New Jersey gym owner uh, who's like, the hell with these restrictions, I'm going to open, he's getting fined, now he's offering free memberships to people who won't take the vaccine. Wow. Uh, mm, I try my best to mind my own business, but in that case, I, I, I say I'm about the people. So if I didn't feel I could keep people safe, I wouldn't invite people to me. Uh, I, I don't know if I would do that based on restrictions. Like I said, here in Atlanta, things are a little bit different, as you as you know. Uh, our governor is pretty proactive as well and and opening up things. But I, more so than him or the, the government, I just feel good about what we're doing. Like I said, I try not to put our faith in anybody else's hand. I want to make sure we sanitize and I want to make sure we got proper cleaning, like top-graded cleaning companies. I want to make sure that everybody brings their own equipment and keeping themselves safe when they come back up in here. Uh, questions, uh, Cleo, you're first. So, I was wondering, how does the app work? Does the app have like Zoom or some kind of visual on it where you absolutely so with the app? Like, with the app, it's pretty much like anything with an Xfinity cable box. You can do it live or you can play it back on demand. So, the best thing about the app is unlimited class. Once you got the app, you can do classes all day long. We have three live classes per day. So you got one at 5.30 a.m., 12, and then 5.30 p.m. And literally, once it's live, it's live. But when it's over, we upload the best class of the day, and you can do that all day long. And we keep changing out the videos. Every day it's a different type of class. It's a different type of workout. So what we're doing in-house, you guys are also doing virtually. So you have on-demand as well. Mm -hmm. Cool. Absolutely. Michael. So do you think the, uh, Dooley, do you think the business of gyms will change after the pandemic is over, whenever that is, uh, later this year or next year? Um, do you it think the, uh, the, the, planet, the Planet Fitnesses and the LA Fitnesses and all those kind of gyms will survive or will they continue to make it? I think it's going to be hard for any gym to survive that's not taking care of the people. Like I said, now people are being exposed. or You can't just put a bunch of equipment in a building and tell people to come to me. So now you got to make sure that these things are clean. You got to make sure that uh, like when you walk into these places, you got some sanitary stations and you got to make sure that like you got to take care of the people now. There's no, You can't get by with just having some equipment and telling people to come work out with you. So it has already changed. So if you're a gym owner and you're handling business and you make sure you're taking care of your people, you'll keep having people. Um, again, so, so, so last question for you. Um, as uh, what advice will you give anybody who's watching uh, in terms of uh, if they're deciding to go back, what should what should they be looking out for to caution themselves? What what, what procedures should they be saying? You know what, this gym needs to have this and this and this in place before I before I get back involved. I, it, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it takes two. So we're gonna do this. I think people before you step back into the gym, make sure your mind is right. 
Make sure you're fully committed to and, 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 and ready to come back before you ever come back. Try as many online and virtual options as you can before you ever step foot back because most gyms and people are like, it's a certain, it's just a certain way to work out. And I just want to make sure people get their mind right before they ever step foot back in the gym because nobody's putting pressure on you. Like I say, that's why you got all these different virtual options. But when you're ready to come back, like I said, make sure your gym is, is make sure you see you got to wear this mask to even get into the gym. Make sure the front desk staff is they, they're checking temperatures. Make sure that people are always cleaning up and wiping down every piece of equipment once it's used. So if you don't see no sanitation stations, you don't see no no temperature readings when you're walking in the buildings, you don't see no masks like that, that you might want to be uh, cautious about entering that place. All right, then. Dooley, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. I appreciate y'all, man. All right, then. Uh, Cleo, Michael, we sure appreciate you joining us as well. Uh, Teresa, thank you so very much uh, for being with us as well. Uh, I was uh, super black. Good to see you. Uh, we certainly uh, have y'all back uh, soon. We sure appreciate it. Thanks a lot. We're going to close the show out, folks, uh, with this. Uh, and that is uh, every Monday, uh, Moral Mondays, the Poor People's Campaign has been engaged in their moral revival. Uh, of course, driving this whole issue of the Poor People's Campaign. I uh, just want to show some of you uh, uh, today's uh, Moral Monday. President and Senior Lecturer of Repairs of the Breach and Co-Chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And we are gathering from all around the nation and in the nation's capital today uh, to raise an important issue. Um, I had planned to be there this morning. I was called to do the eulogy for a young man who was shot uh, to death by the police in Virginia Beach under questionable circumstances. And uh, as we were trying to make it there, the traffic became so intense that it kept us from being there on time. But today we come because we as clergy, pastors, imams, rabbis, people from the Hindu community and the Muslim community uh, are challenging the immorality of the filibuster. We can no longer have an impoverished democracy because a minority group of senators uh, want to shut down open debate and shut down bringing issues to the floor to address the critical issues that face us as a people in this nation. We have 140 million plus people now that are in poverty and low wealth in this nation. We have 62 million people that make less than $17 an hour in this nation. We have over 80 million people who make uh, who either are uninsured or underinsured uh, in this nation. Uh, we have serious issues to address in terms of coming out of this pandemic, rebuilding from the bottom up and building forward greater uh, in this nation. And we cannot have a system that actually is rooted in an ugly history. Now, many times when people talk about the filibuster, they talk about how it has been used to block civil rights legislation and they frame it in a racist, uh, as a form of systemic racism. And that's true, but it is more than that. And, it, and it's high time that we let the public know it's more than that. Now, yes, in the 1800s, the filibuster was used 
to stop every piece of anti-slavery legislation, every piece of anti-slavery legislation. In 1937, uh, there was a vicious, vicious lynching in Duck Hill, Mississippi, where people by, people's bodies were literally mutilated and burned. The House of Representatives, to, to honor, uh, to, to deal with this issue and to deal with the horror of it, they passed an anti-lynching bill in 1837, but the senators and the white Southern members launched a tenacious filibuster to prevent the anti-lynching bill from reaching the floor for a vote. When it came to new, the New Deal, a lot of the legislation that um, President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, um, tried to put forward, uh, some historians say that he had to back away from that anti-lynching bill because of the filibuster uh, in order to allow some other pieces of legislation to go forth. What a, what a horrendous trade-off that was forced by those who would engage in filibustering. We know in 1918, however, it wasn't just black people. In 1918, Southern conservatives in the Senate blocked women's suffrage for a long time by a Senate filibuster. They didn't want the 19th Amendment. So the filibuster has been uh, the, the antithesis to women in this country moving forward. We know that five times between 1942 and 1949, the House passed bills that sought to ban poll taxes five times and five times senators filibustered uh, and, uh, and allowed poll tax to stay on the um, record. We know that Strom Thurmond and Dick Russell used the filibuster to try to weaken the 1957 Civil Rights Act. And we also know, however, that when we look past the post-war decades, the, the Senate used the filibuster and other procedural tricks, not just the filibuster, to block labor policies from reaching the floor and policies about labor unions from reaching the floor. Um, we know that um, the filibuster uh, was used, the party failed at labor's most important goal, and that was the repeal of the Taft-Hartley Right to Work Act because a bipartisan conservative filibuster in the U.S. Senate was employed. Was employed. In 1974, a five-year effort to pass a bill to create an independent consumer protection agency fell victim to the filibuster. So yes, it's been used to undermine uh, things that would benefit African-Americans, but also with things that would benefit all Americans, the filibuster has been used. We know in 1972, the filibuster was used to block legislation to give the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission the power to move against job discrimination. For months, they blocked it. We know in 2014, a Republican filibuster successfully barred the Protect Women's Health from Corporate Interference Act, literally blocked it, which was intended to remedy the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling that employers could refuse to include contraceptives for women in their insurance plan. The filibuster and the, the filibuster has been used to block laws that would stem voter suppression. It's been used in some ways, a, a form of it has been used to block any real votes on things like living wages. And what it does is the filibuster is dangerous to our democracy. It undermines the democracy because the ultimate goal of the filibuster, it is a centerpiece of an arcane obstructionist type rules in the United States. 
that bars the body from the deliberative role that was envisioned by the founders. It has been used to, to stall presidential appointments, federal judicial appointments, laws addressing unemployment benefits uh, in national economic emergency times. It's been used to block environmental protection measures, global climate measures. Uh, it's been used to even uh, uh, block laws that would require disclosure of political contributions uh, in a country where we have such a flood of dark money. The current filibuster rule discourages public debate. And the way they do it now is worse than even in the past. Because in the past, at least you had to go to the floor and keep the filibuster up. Today, if you simply say you don't have the 60 votes, there's not even a filibuster debate. And so people never really see what the filibuster does is it blocks people from seeing, it blocks those senators' constituents from seeing where they really are. And at the end of the day, the filibuster, the filibuster is immoral. Uh, it does not provide the freedom uh, the, and, and the liberty that should be in a democracy. Uh, it, is, it causes us to have an impoverished democracy. It allows injustice to flourish. And anything that allows injustice to flourish and inequality to flourish is not in line with our deepest moral values constitutionally, which call us to establish justice, and not in line with our deepest moral values religiously that calls us to care for the least of these and to lift from the bottom and to lift up those. There's a great scripture in the Bible, Isaiah 10, that says, woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their rights. The filibuster, more often than not, has been used to rob the poor, rob African-Americans, rob women, rob, rob workers of their rights. And it is not right. And we as a national body of clergy and pastors and, and, and religious persons from all different faiths representing tens and tens of thousands of people today in Washington, D.C. and around the country call for the ending of the filibuster. It is time for the Senate to have honest, open, full debate on the issues of our day. We don't need any more to have living wages blocked and health care to be blocked and infrastructure that lifts from the bottom up to be blocked and money for public education to be blocked and, uh, any, and, and, and those things that would make this democracy better. This is not about left or right. It's not about conservative versus liberal. It is about right versus wrong. And so today we commit to create holy trouble. We're gonna trouble the walls and trouble the, the Senate. We're gonna trouble the senators. We're gonna call them. We're gonna organize voters. We're gonna push people out because it is time to stop the filibuster. Lastly, the filibuster by name, one language says it really means to talk to death. And another language the filibuster means to rob. Well, it's time to stop talking to death uh, in ways that block us from having the real discussions we need to be having about justice in this society. And we cannot allow the robbery to go on anymore. No longer can a minority of senators block those things that would lift more than 140 million people out of poverty and low wealth. That is not the American way. It is not the intentions of this democracy. And we as people of faith and religious leaders are calling it out. It is immoral, it is sinful, and it is wrong, and it must stop. I turn the program now back over to those that are in DC, and then you'll hear from other great.
Ah, oh, that was Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. I was really appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Folks, if you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, please do so by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, every dollar you give goes to support what we do, uh, making this show possible. Of course, you can do, go to Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com forward slash rm unfiltered. Uh, you can also go to Zale, Roland at rolandsmartin.com. You can also go to Roland at rolandmartinunfiltered.com. And so uh, we had some Folks, so sit in uh, a few. Let me go ahead and read some of those. Uh, so I wanted to, first of all, I'm going to uh, read off. Um, there are a number of people, of course, who sent in uh, uh, their um, uh, contributions. And so I wanted to go ahead and, um, and read uh, some of those names, uh, allowing us to be able uh, to, um, uh, to do that. So let me uh, pull that up. Perdita Wilson, Kenny Gamba, Ernest Mams, Lisa Jenkins, Cheryl Dugan, Cheryl Earl, Doretha Scott, Bobby Cole, Darlena, Darlene Hancock, Shalada Sankofa. We certainly appreciate uh, your support. Uh, we also, uh, Jeremy Thomas, David Rogers, Sybil uh, Aidsokan, uh, Joetta Drake, Deborah Childs, Mary Edwards, Renee Yancey, Sean Wagner, Linda Jones, Sharon Holder, R. Strickland, Roosevelt Green, Cynthia Calloway, Natalie Jackson, Azuri Smith, Patrick Ellis, Coretta Washington, Dexter Brown, Deborah Ellerby, Sheila Van, Yvonne Magwood, and Valerie Kimes, or is it Kims? So, so uh, we had some folks who sent us uh, a few cards here. Let me see here. Uh, let's see how I roll my Breathing the Fuck uh, membership is enclosed. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, elbow bumps from uh, North Senior Citizen. Elbow bumps from North Charleston, uh, South Carolina. So I certainly appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Roland, uh, blessed to be a blessing, and you are blessing us with the information we need to move forward in life. Thank you. Keep up the good work, uh, Mrs. Uh, L.A.W. And so I appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Roland Martin, we appreciate your excellent reporting and your great guests. We have enjoyed your new show for many years. We know your reporting is honest, informative, and moving our communities forward towards a safer and prosperous future. We are happy to support your show and encourage family and friends to do the same. Thank you again. Stay well and safe. Mr. and Mrs. Collins. I appreciate uh, y'all card as well. Thank you for all that you do. You and your staff uh, does. Keep on keeping on uh, forever fan. Unsigned. But I appreciate uh, their contribution. Let's see here. I just want to say to you, Mr. Martin, thank you. Uh, you were spectacular at the work you did in Georgia. Sincerely, Johnny L. Nelson. Johnny, I certainly appreciate that, Johnny. Thank you so very much. Uh, you are doing a great service uh, for our community. Hope you reach your goal. Have followed you since TV One Thursday's panel, and especially like I especially like encloses my check and support. I also enclose a copy of a project I started back in 2011. Uh, if possible, would you pass on this idea, uh, Linda Ziegler? So Linda, I certainly appreciate that uh, very much, Linda. Let's see here. Got a card rolling. Thank you for what you do. Please keep up the good work. Uh, that was unsigned, but we certainly appreciate that. Uh, another card here. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for all that you do. I'm a fan of yours and I follow you. I'm learning so much from you. You are a hardworking man. Keep up the good work you are doing. You're educating us and your, your fans are so grateful for you. I appreciate you and I enjoy watching uh, your YouTube channel. I'm not on any other social media. I love watching 
uh, when you have your panels. I'm uh, learning a lot watching them. You are, you're so funny. You make me laugh. Your facial expressions are so funny. I laughed so hard when you had Bill Bellamy on. The two of you had me crying laughing. I support you and I tell my family and friends to support you all the time. I'm supporting you with a $50 money order uh, to join the Roland Martin fan club. When you left TV One, I'm so glad you didn't stop. I can see that you're going to get so much bigger. You are doing good. Keep up the good work, Roland. I'm so proud of you. You are in my prayers. Uh, Doretha Scott. So, Doretha, I certainly appreciate that. Let's see. I'm going to read uh, one more here. And remember, those of you who are watching us on the face, Facebook and uh, YouTube, you can join our Breed and Fuck fan club. Uh, no need for uh, you to, uh, no need for you to, um, uh, hit us up uh, on YouTube. Uh, somebody said, Roland, uh, the desk is not your, uh, the set is not your desk. Not true. Yes, it is. All of it. Yes, it is. That's how we work. So we got books over here. Uh, we got cards over here. We got folks who sit in packages over here. And that way I can grab it when we're live. So yes, it is. And so we got a brush, comb the brother's hair. That's how we brush the brother's hair. That's how we do it. All right. So I got this. Brother Roland, uh, it says uh, that uh, it says on the front, you don't do it for the glory, but it doesn't mean you don't deserve it. Thanks for so much all that you do, Brother Roland. Much love and respect. Uh, Shalada Sankofa. Shalada, I appreciate that. Uh, and then hold on here, y'all. I'm going to give this here. Um, uh, let's see. Jalene Hives. Roland, I mailed a check for 2021 Fan Club. Uh, it's not showing up in my account, and it hasn't come back to me. Have you received the check? Uh, I drove in 2020. Yes, we did. Jalene, I appreciate that. Thank you so very much. Uh, let's see. I'm going to try to read a couple of more before we get out of here. Um, before our time is up. Donation, Napoleon Keys. Thank you for giving civic lessons to young people who don't read history books. Napoleon, that's why we do what we do. I appreciate that, Napoleon. Thank you so very much. Uh, good work and stay on point. Unsigned, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, another letter. Dear Roland, sorry it took so long to support your work. I've been a... I've been a... Uh, oh, <laughs> I've been a freeloader. Loving the information you provide, but not contributing. Hopefully, I can send you a payment every month of at least $10. I know it's not much, but it's the best I can do right now. Uh, love your show. Georgia, I can't make out your last name, but Georgia, I appreciate it. Look, every dollar counts, and so there are people who give us uh, $100, $50, $20, $10, $5, $1. We appreciate every single uh, person uh, who supports uh, this show uh, and who contributes. And so trust me, um, um, every dollar matters. Hey, Roland Martin, I love the way you bring the funk. I am joining your fan club. Here's my 50 bucks. Uh, Darlene Hancock. Darlene, I appreciate that, Darlene. Uh, thank you so very much. I'm going to read uh, two more. Two more. Okay. Herbie Holland Jr. I just love what you do. I listened to the speech you gave over Zoom on Friday, uh, February 26th at the college, and it was really on point. I watch your show every day. I'm a monthly contributor to your Bring the Funk fan club. 50 bucks every month. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, listening to you and the guests you have on your show talk about black problems with black people is refreshing, and you're the only black media outlet I listen to. Because of you, I have been enlightened on books such as Martin Luther King's Where Do We Go From Here, as well as the sneakers you put on display during your Zoom speech at the college. So I immediately went and ordered a pair. That was the black company in the gas footwear. 
I also like the fact that you're an alpha. So is my brother Troy. Wish I was, but I'm not. But I do have a master's degree. Keep up the great work and inspiring all of us to be better blacks and to support black media and business. Herbie L. Holland Jr. Uh, and then he said, P.S., here's another $50 to your platform. So, Herbie, I appreciate that, y'all. Uh, and do, 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 do. I got one more, y'all. Uh, Mr. Roller Martin, we're always watching your show. So here's a money order for $100. But thank you for the many things you and your panel have on your show. So we, Herbert Richardson and Sandra Scott, support the work you are doing. So we are keeping you in our prayers. God has blessed you and the vision you have been given. Uh, hope to send you more $100. Uh, again, Herbert Richardson and Sandra Scott. Y'all, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, everything uh, that y'all, all the notes. And so I can't read all of them, but uh, I just zoomed through about uh, 15 of them. And so we had some extra time and I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for the cards that y'all send in. Uh, it, it is greatly appreciated. Um, I, 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 so we, we um, hopefully we will be able to let you know, I'll be able to show you in about 30 days, new space that we're gonna be uh, moving into. Uh, we visited today, I signed the lease, gotta go through two more phases, uh, but it's gonna be phenomenal space. Your dollars is making that possible, uh, folks. Uh, it's a much larger space. Uh, right now, we really only have this one set look where we're going, we're gonna have four different set looks. Trust me, y'all, it's gonna be uh, off the chain. Uh, I can't wait to show y'all. Uh, I got the video sitting over here right now, but uh, trust me, y'all gonna like it. So uh, that's it for us, folks. Again, uh, uh, Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Uh, PayPal.me forward slash RMartinUnfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Zell, rolling at rollingismartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Money order, New Vision Media, 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. That's it for me. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Take care. God bless. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 